I'm Robert Conti, Chief of the Metropolitan Police Department. I have an urgent message. Unfortunately, traffic fatalities have increased in D.C., and I need your help to reverse this troubling trend. Did you know that using a seatbelt can drastically reduce the risk of death or serious injury to you or a loved one? Seatbelts save lives, and together we can accomplish a safer community. Let's make Vision Zero a reality in D.C. Always wear your seatbelt. Click it or tick it. So hello everyone, welcome to another episode of Mental Roots. It's me, Nathan Day, and if you've been listening, you already know what this is about. Um, just tackling this big trending topic of mental health from a very authentic point of view, from a black British point of view. And this podcast is mainly targeted for young black males, uh, just for us to kind of be real about our experiences Um and how we think we can empower each other in regards to mental health. And obviously, as a young um, black person, there's so many factors feeding into our mental health. So we discuss all the cultural stuff that feeds into it as well. Um, and yeah, this is kind of in conjunction with a short film I'm working on with uh, Rural Media New Creative Scheme, and who's also in partnership with the BBC. I'm making a short animated film um, about this topic. I don't want to reveal too much on the storyline yet. But as of the time I'm recording this, um, we're still in kind of in the pre-production phase, uh, refining the storyboard. We're about to work on the animatic. And um, yeah, we've <laughs> the, the, the clock is ticking. So we're trying to um, do as much as we can uh, with the time we've got. And today I've got my guest, Hashim Dare. Um So I know Hashim from my university, University of Derby. Uh, he graduated the year before me and um, he's also like me, a young black Brit trying to make it big in the animation industry. Um, and so we kind of connect that way. But yeah, Hashim, just kind of introduce yourself to the listeners and give an update on what you're doing now. Yeah, man. So I'm just what Milton King is born and bred. Brett, you know, um, essentially my expertise would be animation and art. Graduated last year, like what Nathan said, and I'm just trying to find my own personal voice, really, in this really competitive industry. Um, and yeah, so I've just been essentially mm. just doing my illustration animations, or you could just say my creative works over the past year or so since graduating. Um, I wouldn't say there's much, too much to say. It's just essentially I'm quite new in my career as well. I'm still trying to figure out what to do. Um, mm. There's a lot of part like about animation, you know, especially the fact that there's no limit to what you want to produce. It's all based on your imagination. Yeah. So really, you're the only one that limits yourself when you produce anything. I know with films, live actions and actual filmmaking, cinematography, there could be some restraints with, you know, certain shots you can do. But with animation, what I like about it, it has no boundaries, essentially. You could practically animate whatever, you know? Yeah, and yeah. It's a beauty about you know? And essentially, if you like to see something, or if you'd like to empower something, or like you want to see something, then you can actually do it. It's just having the right people, the right, you know, strategy, the right, you know, times and resources put into it. Yeah. And it's quite, it's, it's really, it's really, um, it's really challenging, but I, I actually love the challenge because I know, as you know, 
animators or let's say, say creators, we're very ambitious. You yeah. can imagine how we're very ambitious. We never always hit the target, but mm. at least we always show the process of what we do. Mm. Well, some of us do. Yeah. Like, you know. Yeah, and for me, it's yeah, the, that's yeah. yeah that's it. for me, it's the level of gratification you get when you make something that it wasn't, like you said, it's not highly dependent on a huge production crew. It's mainly down to you and your imagination. And um, especially, I, I'd consider myself more as a quote unquote independent animator. And I know yeah. that that term might be overused in many cases, but um, I, I, I consider myself independent in thoughts, independent in, yeah, just I see myself more as a leader when it comes to animation. So when I'm working in a team, I'd, well, I'd like to think I'd, in my career, I'd have loads of opportunities to maybe be in a role of senior leadership, maybe whether it's directing or mm. co-directing, producing, whatnot, um, which is kind of what I'm doing now, to be honest. I am, you know, the director of my, um, the short animated film I'm working on. So um, yeah, that's awesome. So uh, yeah, so Hashim, just delve into your upbringing. Obviously we're talking about what it means to be young, black and British, um, as specifically as a young black male. Um, and I guess our, in our conversation today, a huge part of it will be how we use our creativity um, to express kind of our, um, our experiences. Um, and yeah, in many ways, we're very similar. We are both guys of faith as well. Um, you are a Muslim, if I'm correct, and I'm Christian. And so those things also have a huge influence on our sense of identity and um, significance. And so, yeah, just kind of take us through your upbringing uh, and what it was like growing up as a young black Brit, um, if that applies to you. Okay, so I haven't really written anything down. So this is just off the top of my head, so, you know. Cool, that's all right. Let's go with it. So, yeah, just upbringing. So, very much, yeah, I grew up in a very, like, I would say spiritual, devout household, you know, uh, family born into Islam, you know, learning a lot from it, shaping who I am today and everything. Um, although there's not a lot of, like, creative push in terms from the Islamic perspective, you know, I don't see a lot of it mm. growing up. Although there has been shows that obviously were catered towards obviously our kind of background, but there wasn't enough. Yeah. So it's kind of like a lack of there's a lack of lack of representation, especially from the Hispanic perspective on things. Mm. Um, essentially, you're probably aware, obviously, the media how it dictates our narrative. Right? Yeah, yeah. So it's really like obviously there's not like a lot of positive outlook on it. So I would say maybe like because of that, that's always kind of like you know special like, you know, spiraled a few questions in my mind, like how certain things, why is it like that and stuff. And there's many theories about it, but of course, the most important thing is like, what can you do so you can empower the next, you know, gen or the next people so that they don't have to go through the same struggles, right? So True, yeah. I guess with animation or like anything to do creative stuff, it was when my father used to draw quite a lot mm. on his work breaks at lunch, you know. He used to just do a lot of illustrations on the side and stuff. Mm -hmm. So... He used to do a lot of that type of thing, and I used to see all the time on the kitchen tables whenever I was eating breakfast or whatever. When I was like, what, five, four, five, six, or something like that. Mm. So my first, my first kind of like inspiration for drawing would be my father, right? Because although he wasn't like the best, he used to always produce stuff, you know. Yeah, so essentially, just seeing my father growing up, just drawing a lot, because he used to obviously work full time, you know, nine to five, whatever. So whenever he had a time or gap, he used to just you know draw a bit here and there. So. That was like early, early, early stages of just always drawing. And to me, it looked like really cool stuff. 
So in my mind, it was like I tried to replicate it, you know. Mm. He, he always used to use a pen as well. He never used to sketch a pencil. It was always pen drawings, but he looked really semi-realistic. So mm. that used to that used to keep me like quite, you know, intrigued. And because of my nature, I was very energetic when I was young as well. So mm. I was always kind of like always out and about. But drawing kind of kept me, kind of kept some level of solace or a type of like peace within myself because it kept me focused you know yeah it kept me quite grounded as well i didn't get into too much mischief growing up either mm. um it was kind of like uh it was kind of like it was a soothing thing i think was doing you know it, whenever stuff was a bit chaotic at home or let's say in school or whatever drawing was just this is like my safe space you know that's what it was because yeah and it was pretty i liked it from that aspect mm. um but yeah upbringing was definitely the stuff something i'm definitely proud of you know, it was like a space to actually grow. Um, although I wasn't like dictated too much of what I wanted to do when I was older, I was kind of compared to my cousins, my peers from like London and stuff. So they're based in West London and they're quite high achieving students. They're really, really good. But like, mm-hmm. you know, so you know how African parents be when you want to be a certain way. But obviously, you look at your peers, look at people who are around you, and then you kind of see your children to like mirror how they want to be, like in your image, right? Like mm-hmm. how you want to see them, basically. Mm. Uh, there's that there's a lot of that so mm. and I guess with that there's obviously pressure because obviously you, you're just doing enough just to get by but then obviously after that um, what's the next thing mm. you know uh, yeah I'm good at grades did the right school and everything like that but it was like I didn't really find much joy in it it was kind of like just to get by Yeah. so I guess you can talk about that later on school was literally a lot of it was just getting by mm. I didn't feel like I found myself in school to be honest Mm. It took me a while to find myself. I think the gap here after uni, no, 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 the gap here before I started uni was when I found that I really wanted to do animation. Mm. So, and what yeah. did you do in that gap? Was it college, sixth form, or um, something else? Oh, I did, I did sixth form mm. at the school I was in. So, yeah, because I went to a predominantly white school itself, you mm. know, uh, my high school years. Um, but I wouldn't say that I was throughout my whole. Um, childhood life mm. I was in quite a lot of mixed schools like especially first school middle school but when it came to like secondary school mm-hmm. I went to predominantly white ones so yeah. essentially it's like keeping up with that crowd right you know? mm. and I did pretty well alright I did alright because yeah. um, I was mainly good at maths um, science engineering media these based these type of subjects I was quite good at mm. um, but media I think was my first outlet to like understanding the creative industry that was kind of like my first yeah. insight at uh, professional like oh you can actually do stuff with media but before that I didn't think of it as nothing more I just thought people just applied for jobs and did what they did yeah but yeah, I think, I yeah I think schools should do a better well I think times are different now but technology and the opportunities there are with the media and sort of the various creative careers that are available through the media I think schools should definitely promote that more um, and broaden students horizons beyond the typical subjects that we knew of growing up um, in secondary school as well. Um, yeah, for me, it was similar in terms of the demographic of the students I was with. Um, it was interesting because in second, in primary school, I moved around quite a lot. So I did grow up as a little kid in South London, in Clapham Park. Um, as you can imagine, a very diverse area. Um, my preschool days, you know, that, that I remember quite a mix of ethnicities. Um, then I moved to Essex. We lived in Essex for about 11 years, um, quite a predominantly white area. We lived in Romford and, um, 
yeah, I mean, secondary school was interesting. I went to all boys school. It wasn't particularly our first choice or my mom's first choice. Um, but as I was there, you know, the school seemed to be improving. Um, the facilities seemed to be getting better. And um, I really found myself in secondary school in terms of realizing my creativity. I, I came to realize not only am I good at drawing, which I always knew from my nursery days, um, but I also started to realize I'm talented at drama. So it was my first exposure to drama in secondary school. Um, I joined a drama and tech club that someone from outside of the school came in. There's an organization called CNT that does various creative initiatives for young people all over the world. And we had someone come in to lead that drama tech society. We got introduced to, like you said, like, you know, the fusion between the arts and technology, right? And we were looking at blogging, how we could blog um, about our experiences and online awards that we could do. Um, a highlight of what we did was we, um, we scripted our own short play. Um, it was me and a few other people in the, um, in the club. It wasn't a big club at all. It was just a small cast of us, probably about five or six of us. And we created this whole play using music lip syncing involved. So it was kind of like a musical, except we we're miming the words and these are just random pop songs. But we created a nice story from that and we streamed it to a drama group in New York, which was cool. And so it was from then on that I was like, okay, there's there's ways of diversifying, not being limited to just one creative outlet. Um, so yeah, growing up, um, did you, what was it like, you know, growing up as a young black guy, you said um, in like in school, you know, um, you, you were in a predominantly white school. Was there any moments that you had where um, you were reminded that you were black or you felt alienated in some sort of way? What um, did kind of your religious beliefs um, influence how people perceived you at school as well? Um, just take us into that. So pretty much growing up in, I guess, experiences in school, um, to be honest with you, I've learned a lot from like, in a way, I wasn't really taught much about race growing up really. Yeah, yeah, me like, neither. <laughs> It was kind of, I never really got taught about this stuff. It's just that you just see people as people. Yeah, yeah. And then depending on how they treat, that's how you make your judgments, right? True. But unfortunately, the world doesn't really work like that. You know, mm. a lot of people do project, you know, how certain races are, certain things are, like divisions between light skin, dark skin, yeah. all these things. You learn all these things in like, secondary school. And it's like, now I look back, it's like, I understand it's a lot of it. A lot of it is insecurity. And a lot of it is a lot of, you know, and, and and sadly, you can't join in on that crowd because, mm. especially when you're ignorant, you don't really know who you are you're, and you don't really have a mold to fit in. You kind of just got to join in the crowd and see how things play out, you know? So mm. I guess I was reminded a lot, but it didn't really phase me because I knew deep down I'm quite, you know, quite a passionate Muslim, quite a passionate Somali as well, background. Mm. But also my family being born in Tanzania, they got a lot of Swahili-like based culture as well. So mm. it's like, although maybe Somali, but then a lot of them, they picked up traits from like, you know, back in Tanzania. It's quite a civil country though. So mm. essentially the mannerism and stuff, the way they interact with people, it was, I kind of took that same energy and how I interacted with my peers and stuff. So I met a lot of great people, but then it was like, I didn't really end up in a lot of situations where it got really, really like, yes, it got really like bad 
Mm. I felt like I was always, I was, I was very good at diffusing situations. I just had a natural thing for that, you know. This message is sponsored by Amazon. I want to get back to kissing the cheeks of my grandbabies, making Sunday dinner with a house full of family and lots of laughs. <laughs> COVID-19 has changed how we live and how we feel, but now there are vaccines. It's okay to have questions. Now get the facts. Visit GetVaccineAnswers.org so you can make an informed decision about COVID-19 vaccines. It's up to you. Brought to you by the Ad Council. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more. Oh, that's a cheer we used to do in softball. Uh, what? It's, uh, actually Geico. Whenever someone hit a triple, we would wave our bats and yell, 15 minutes could save you 15% or more. But we never got to use it. Because we would only hit home runs. Annoying. The phrase is from Geico because they help save people money? Geico? Yeah, they were our team sponsor. Geico. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more. Um, and I guess having the uncomfortable conversations with certain people, I guess in school, a lot of it was just immaturity, you know? Mm. So there's never really a space that you can talk about this stuff. It was just like, you can get the most laughs, you can get the most bangs. Yeah, yeah. You know? And a lot of it is just some people get picked on more than others. And I was kind of like, like I said before, just kind of getting by. Mm -hmm. So it didn't, it didn't affect me to the point where I couldn't really take it. I, I was very, always very, I was very much reminded that, you know, I'm end of the day, I'm just here for the fact that I'm in school, doing my bit, and then back home. And I know that I'm quite secure at home as well. Like, I'm never really reminded of that at home. I think maybe if I was taught these things from young, and I was made, and I was felt like I had to be a certain way, maybe like, and I was quite insecure with myself, my identity. Then maybe mm. this would have affected me as a person. But you know, I, I thank God that I'm quite secure in my own black self. You know, yeah. Maybe the only thing I was insecure about was just the fact that I was really skinny at school. <laughs> maybe, yeah. That's probably the only, yeah. Probably that. Uh, I used to always stay on the bank gym, on always bank gym, get always big and that. Mm. You know, try and compete with other people. But that's really about it. Man. Yeah. I never felt like I was. Depressed to be black, but sad to be. Fair um, enough. I was always proud of myself. So that's fair enough. I guess. Yeah, yeah it was pretty much that. Mm. But I obviously can't deny other people's experiences. How some people just maybe had a really horrible time. Some people had maybe a great time. Mm. But we were only a minority. I was definitely a minority because mm. there was not a lot of money in my area at all. Yeah. You know, I was maybe about five, six other black guys in my year group. Mm. But as a school as a whole, maybe good 15, 20, 30 black people. I would say that. Mm. But then the school majority. White, so yeah. a good ninety eight percent of them white, about two three percent about you know yeah. non minorities, so or Asians as well. Yeah. So yeah, it was pretty much that, you know. Mm. Um, but yeah, I'd say school reminded me a lot about why I am mm. and stuff like that. But I never really took it to heart to the point where it affected my focus, you know, with what I wanted to do. That's but good. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, I mean, I think most children do not process the world through race anyway. It's when when I ask people about these things, it's largely through retrospect that they're able to comment on their experiences and how, you know, various cultural things that they had like made them struggle to fit in, you know. Um, so that's one thing I relate to, struggling to fit in. You Obviously, it wasn't just race, but it was other things in terms of, you know, just my social skills and... Um, I don't know. I was just a daydreamer. I wasn't really, I, I don't know. There was always something weird about me where I, I, I liked the idea of being in the popular crowd, but I just wasn't. Um, and in secondary school, 
people knew me more for like what I achieved rather than my the charm of my character or whatnot, you know. Um, but I mean, um, it, the tables did flip because I did eventually become quite popular through just the different things I achieved. I found what I was good at and I excelled. And I think one thing that we can both agree with is regardless of who you are, when you find something that you're good at and you excel in that field, there's, you can still, there's still opportunity for you, right? Obviously now we're older, we're a bit more aware of kind of the injustices that exist in our country and we've come to learn of things like institutional racism and how certain people are not given the same employability sort of opportunities as others but for the most part especially today in this age of technology and the internet there's no denying that things are much better than they used to be you know there there are great opportunities um to really showcase your talent so i'm i have a more positive outlook like yeah, I'm aware of the cultural and racial barriers in society, but a large amount of how we interact with those um, boundaries is down to our mindset. You know, your mindset still has probably 80% impact on, you know, the outcome of your life. So um, that's my yeah, mindset. That's... Like, is, is would you say that's kind of your mindset as well? Yeah, I mean, it's just like, you deal with the card you dealt with, man. Yeah. You know? And what's important is literally what you, how are you going to react to the situations, what are you going to take from these situations, you know, and how are you going to, you know, progress, you know. Mm. Uh, but to be honest with you, this mindset is more built upon after, like, whilst my time at uni and as I graduated. True. I guess I was very much a bit more and more, I was probably a lot more like, um, um, Obviously, we're obviously ignorant, right? Mm -hmm. At some parts of our life, and like how we learn. But I was definitely more academically focused, mm -hmm. but I was kind of not really aware of like the bigger like picture. Stuff yeah. Really, yeah, bigger picture. I was kind of just focused on myself. My circle was pretty small in terms of just school, and then yeah. do my Islamic school weekly on a Sunday, and then mm -hmm. back home. And these, this is basically my cycle for the past since I was, uh, I think, five, six years old. Mm -hmm. So this was pretty much predominantly my life. You know, yeah. I didn't get into a lot of drama really growing up. You know, and obviously coming from really like I wouldn't say very strict parents, but very like you know, very like, um, very like well cultured, yeah. well respected parents. Stuff. You want to make sure you do them proud and do them well. You know, do them right. You know, mm -hmm. like although they give you the flexibility to do things, it's like making sure they can make something new, making use of what they've given you, right? Mm -hmm. And the time, the talents, and all these things. So. I was never really like restricted in those aspects. It was just like I was never, I wasn't really exposed to much outside of that, you know. Yeah. So, mm. pretty much, I've kind of, and I guess that positivity was kind of instilled from early, you know. Mm. But then I was just very much ignorant. <laughs> mm. I was just, you know, in my own kind of world bubble, just interested in what I wanted to do, and yeah. that's it. Mm. As I grew and then I actually went uni, lived with different people, different viewpoints and stuff, mm -hmm. and then maybe reflect on a few things. But it still gives me that positive light that things will get better. But I know if you focus on the negative, that's all you're going to see. You know? That's and true, yeah. It is it's, it's how you see it. It's your perspective on things. And I choose to make sure that I keep it quite balanced as well. You know, I, yes, there is a lot of injustices. But at the same time, I can't only really focus on that. Well, focus on the abundance we have as well. Mm. You know, a lot of opportunities out there. Yeah. So now I'm probably a lot more like, open to the fact that there's so much more to do before it was like i had to see the results 
Mm-hmm. You know, I have to make sure I saw things so that I can jump on board. But sometimes it's like the long game, you know, like understanding a lot, a lot, a lot of delay gratification, a lot of, um, it, and imagine with animation, you know this as well. Yeah. You, you cannot see the, you can't, <laughs> you actually can't. And sometimes you spend many weeks yeah, just to make sure you get scenes, storyboard stuff right, and maybe refine stuff to make sure you experiment. But that whole process that you're doing, mm-hmm. as stressful as that can be, you know it's going to be gratifying towards the end because it's, it's all worth it. It's always going to be worth it. Yeah. So this is kind of something that it's a key trait that animators have or you can kind of say producers in this aspect. Mm. If you're not willing to do that, then probably this is not the career for you. But mm. it's like, that kind of taught me that you can transfer that skill from animation to your life in general, right? Definitely. So it's like same thing how you're enjoying the process in your day-to-day because you need to be the best self. You need to be your best self. Yeah. The most in order to make change yeah. right? and you can't do that and what I, what I love about animation is that you can't cut corners in a sense mm. like <laughs> it's funny because you're working with audio and visual right and as human beings on a day to day basis we're taking the audio we take the audio and visual for granted we just expect everything to work properly whereas with animation you have to be mindful of everything like the way a character moves you have to observe the subtleties of how everyday people move you have to you we learn about these principles such as follow through animation when someone stops turning their hair doesn't stop automatically their hair sways for a bit and stops as well and then obviously we think about timing and pacing and how the way you um time the amount of frames you use for a certain action says a lot about that character and why they're doing what they're doing and what they're about to do, et cetera, et cetera. So you have to always be mindful of the details. And um, it's kind of similar with life in a sense that, you know, when in animation, you have to be, it really captures your imagination. You really have to use your imagination to create the world that you want to see, right? And in a sense, you know, life is similar where we have to work hard. If, if we want to see something happen in society or happen in a certain industry, we have to be this change we want to see. And we have to be part of it. We need to get our hands dirty. We need to be interested in the details and try and get the details right as well. So there's a lot of things I could say about animation in terms of character building because it's not an easy art form. Um, but yeah, I that that leads on well to mental health as well and we've talked a little bit about having a more positive perspective on life and being aware of the the opportunities we have um it's mental health first of all something you resonate with like when you hear that phrase mm. what comes to your mind like just <laughs> to be honest like it's thrown very loosely but it's mm. a good thing as well you know it's talked about more um in terms of resonating i guess everyone's resonates to it in some degree because it's very oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. very broad so it is <laughs> it's very huge and it's good that people are talking about it, you know but mm. it's important to distinguish like that you seek professional professional help like from experts and maybe co- confusing that with you know a mundane thing that you know but yeah. having a bad day is normal right but sometimes it can be blown out of proportion sometimes you know or mm-hmm. other things with it like you may feel very anxious at certain points, but maybe it's because you got a deadline to hit, or maybe it's because you mm. have to go to this next meeting, or let's say do this podcast, whatever. That's a normal feeling because you're trying to, you know, you're going to anticipate something that may work in your favor or may not work in your favor. You know, 
it's like you're, it's like it's weird because I feel like it's just your body telling you things, you know, and it's like yeah. it's like signals, like symptoms as well. Like all these things, like I know as a society we haven't, we didn't really learn as much in the past, you know. We we're quite ignorant to it, especially growing up. You probably think, mm. you know, being anxious and stuff was just associated with scared or nervous, right? But yeah. or maybe being depressed, they just said, uh, just yeah, it is what it is, just brush it off, right? But as we're growing, you learn there's more intricacies to it and there's more layers to peel from it. Yeah. So it's good that there's conversations that spoke more about it. And also, yeah. in terms of like how it's seen in media, like, like essentially what I'm trying to say is, although it's kind of like populated now, it's a lot more bigger term, but this was kind of like shown throughout history always. It's just, I guess, our level of understanding because now we're probably what, in our, we're like in our 20s now. Understanding mm. mental health maybe back when we were like toddlers or maybe teens was a lot more different than now. And yeah, I guess it's just, under, I feel like there's new definitions of it as well sometimes for certain things. It's just, mm. yeah, it's weird. It's a weird one, but it's good that it's spoken about because it educates the next generation so they don't have to worry about certain things. Maybe certain mm-hmm. problems that could have been prevented, now they'll be more educated on it now, you know. I'm afraid that is the end of this part of this interview. Stay tuned for the next part of the interview in the next episode. Thanks for listening. Peace. Hey, Washington, D.C. With summer around the corner, there's no time to wait for your healthy, pest-free lawn with True Green, America's number one lawn care company. True Green's science-based approach and local expertise will give your lawn the year-round care it needs to be thick and weed-free. Go to TrueGreen.com radio and save 50% on your first service. Just call 877-461-0681 or go to TrueGreen.com radio today and get a lawn to be proud of. Some cars are comfy on the inside, but don't have power on the outside. And some cars have the horsepower, but none of the comfort. I used to think there weren't any cars that were the total package. But that all changed when I got my Honda SUV. It's rugged and sophisticated. And right now, Honda has deals on the entire Honda SUV lineup. CRV, HRV, Pilot, Passport, you name it. So if you're looking for a car that's the total package, the only place you'll find it is at your local Honda dealer. Hurry before they're all gone.